Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. They're snoozing. They're asleep in the midst of this. I find that absolutely amazing. And yet I can understand. Look what it says in verse 32. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. You realize we're going to see this pattern in the disciples, don't you? Remember again, the Garden of Gethsemane, the intensity of Jesus' prayer, and the guys fall asleep again. So anyway, Peter, James, and John, in the midst of Jesus' prayer, they fall asleep. And that's one of the reasons why I usually don't get too upset when I'm preaching and I see that people fall asleep. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus revealed His glory. His clothes became like white lightning and His face shone like the sun. Incredibly, Peter, James, and John were asleep while some of this was happening. When the men finally woke from their slumber, they saw the glorified Lord and were completely astonished. Pastor David teaches us in today's message that sometimes we are asleep at the wheel when God is doing something miraculous in our midst. However, through the Spirit, we can be jolted out of our slumbers. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Mountaintop Experience. just a uh, locked bathroom door, you know. Mothers of preschoolers know what that's all about, you know. The, the only place you can get away is if you can lock the door, and then there's little hands that come under the door. But finding a time away and alone with the Lord is necessary in every one of our lives. And it's at this place, it's at this time that The disciples are going to experience a a spiritual high in their life like nothing they have ever experienced before and like nothing they will ever experience, second only maybe to Pentecost. And for whatever reason, Jesus chooses only Peter, James, and John to reveal that glory. Verse 29 tells us they went up the mountain to pray, and as he prayed, the, the appearance of Jesus, his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening. As Jesus began to pray, he, he entered into, I believe, entered, entered into the very presence of the Father. And in that personal time of communication, don't you wish we knew what those words were? You know, what he was praying and what he was saying? Just again, the, the, the depth of that communication. We, we get kind of a glimpse of that if you read John chapter 17. It's a, man, it's a, it's a whole chapter of a prayer of Jesus directly to the Father, but we don't know what these words were. I've heard some people pray, and when they, they pray, they, they literally bring heaven down. It's just that communication. It's just that heart that's open before the Lord, and you just love to, be, to hear that prayer and to, to be in that presence. Uh, not everybody does that, but, but some too. 
I, I can't even begin to imagine the intensity of this communication with Jesus and the Father at this point in time. And, and yeah, I know that Jesus always walked in obedience with the Father. I know that he always walked in communication and relationship with the Father. But this was something different. This was something much, much deeper. And we all have prayer levels, don't we? we? We have levels of depth of our prayers. Let's let's just admit that before each other. If I'm at lunch and I'm praying for a ham sandwich, okay, that's a whole lot different than if I'm at your hospital room and we're praying for your healing, okay? It's just a, it's just a deeper prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the sandwich. Thank you for your provision. Amen, and I eat the sandwich. But we get a little bit deeper when it's a life and death situation. You know the same thing yourself. And we might have important things in our life. We might be praying, okay, about the next job or the next move that we have, and we're praying and we're seeking the Lord. But when we're praying for the salvation of a friend or a neighbor or a loved one, man, that's deep stuff. Stuff. That's when we really get to the core of the matter. And I believe that this was that kind of a prayer. At this point in time in the history and in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was turning toward Jerusalem. And he knew that he was heading right into the stronghold of the enemy. He knew that he would eventually be arrested and tried and convicted and executed. He understood that. He had already told the disciples about that. He understood that it was going to be hard for him. That, that in his humanity, this was going to be a difficult task to do. But he also knew that his disciples were going to be overwhelmed. So I believe that he's praying not only for himself, but he's praying for his disciples. That's because that's the kind of heart that Jesus had. I believe that Jesus was praying with an intensity that was probably second only to the Garden of Gethsemane. We read about the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed so intensely that, that, that blood like sweat began to drop from his brow. Just the passion of his prayer, very possibly, maybe there were just absolute times of silence while he was praying there up on the mountain. You know how that is sometimes when we pray and suddenly we, we kind of run out of words. We, we just don't know what to say. The Word tells us about those times that, uh, man, our, our mind and in the flesh, we, we, don't, we can't think of how or what to pray. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us at that point in time passion of his prayer. And in the midst of the intensity of that focus, something began to happen that really can't be explained in human terms. The very physical appearance of Jesus began to be altered. They began to be transformed. His, his, his very presence tells us it, it began to glow, and whatever color that his robe was before, Mark tells us that now it became white and glistening. Um, you need to understand, I don't believe that Jesus walked around with a white robe all the time, uh, you know, despite pictures and stuff that you, I believe that Jesus just kind of, he looked kind of normal. But there was something that's going on here that changed him. And all three of the gospel writers speak of it. Matthew tells us that his clothes became as white as light. Mark tells us his clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Ladies, it's like how your neighbor can get her white shirts done, you know, uh, much more than what you can do. And no, actually, it's much greater than that, much brighter. Just the intensity of it all. And as he continued to pray... The gospel writers tells us that Elijah and, and Moses were sent by the Father to come and minister to him. And they too, they were, they were wrapped in this same kind of glory. And 
We know why they're there. Luke tells us that they spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And some say that he was talking about the fact that he was going to die when he went to Jerusalem. And yet, actually, that word in the Greek, it's translated in the New King James and in the King James as decease. But actually, the word, the Greek word is exodus. And the meaning of that word is to departure, is going away, is departing out. Much more than just the sacrificial death, I believe that they were speaking about him um, to him about the whole thing, that yes, you will die, but yes, you will raise from the dead. Yes, you will ascend back to the Father. And you start thinking, well, why does he need encouragement in the midst of that? I mean, after all, he's God in human flesh. But let's not forget, he's also 100% human. I believe that in the midst of his humanity, that encouragement needed to be there. You remember Jesus through his life, through his ministry. There were times that he was thirsty. There was times that he was hungry. There was times that he was weary. There was times that he slept. There were times that he wept. I believe even at this, as the intensity was growing there, that the Father just sent Elijah and Moses just to encourage him, say, yeah, man, we know this. We all know that this is going to happen. But you know too. You'll be raised from the dead. You'll, you'll be ascended back to the Father. Soon you'll be there. I think without a whole lot of debate about this idea of why would he send Moses and Elijah? Why Moses and Elijah? Why not David and Daniel? Why not a couple of, why not Gideon? Why not somebody else from the Old Testament? Well, with, again, without a whole lot of debate on that, there's a couple of reasons we could think of of why those two. It was through the ministry of Moses that the people of Israel came together really as a nation. Remember, that was the beginning, the giving of the law with Moses. And it's through the ministry of Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, that at the end of time, remember, Elijah is going to come with that final message just before that great and terrible day of the Lord. Moses was the lawgiver. Uh, Elijah represented the, the prophets. And that's what Jesus fulfilled. He fulfilled the law, and he fulfilled all of the prophecies that were spoken about him and in reference to him. And although we read of Moses dying, nobody really knows where his body is. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the book of Jude, we have this really strange uh, little uh, comment about the body of Jesus that uh, Michael the archangel and the devil got into this argument about the body of Moses. And we don't know where it's buried. I believe that the Lord did something very special with that. And Elijah, we know that Elijah didn't die. He was, he was taken up. And don't be confused. He was not taken up in a fiery chariot. chariot. No, the fiery chariot came between him and Elisha to get Elisha's attention drawn away. But a whirlwind took Elijah up. So if you're ever on a, you know, a, a quiz show and that's the million-dollar question, uh, he was taken up in a whirlwind. Some say that maybe these two guys, Moses and Elijah, are also going to be the two witnesses in the last days. Again, representing the law and the prophets. Speculation, just kind of interesting. So we have Jesus here, supernaturally transfigured into an appearance that could only be described literally as the Shekinah glory of God. Moses and Elijah also caught up in that appearance of glory. And we can imagine the disciples, man, they would, they would be beside themselves. They'd, they'd be deep in worship, adoration falling on their faces, absolutely speechless. But that's not the case, is it? Where do we find the disciples? They're snoozing. They're asleep in the midst of this. 
I find that absolutely amazing. And yet I can understand. Look what it says in verse 32. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. You realize we're going to see this pattern in the disciples, don't you? Remember again the Garden of Gethsemane, the intensity of Jesus' prayer, and the guys fall asleep again. So anyway, Peter, James, and John, in the midst of Jesus' prayer, they fall asleep. And that's one of the reasons why I usually don't get too upset when I'm preaching and I see that people fall asleep. I figure, you know, if they can fall asleep while Jesus is praying, they can certainly fall asleep while I'm preaching. So, But anyway, they wake up. They wake up, and, and who knows how long they've been asleep. I mean, that could have been like, you know, for an hour or so. Who knows how long they missed that glory. They missed that opportunity of worship. And what a sad thing it is. So many times when God is moving and working, we find ourselves asleep. I'm not talking about physically asleep. I'm talking about spiritually asleep. God is moving and working in people's lives. and We're just kind of flatlined ourselves. and We're just kind of wondering why you never see God do anything at all. And yet all around us, God is moving and working. If we're awake, if we're looking for it, if we're open for it. How did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? I don't know. Maybe they heard in the conversation, conversation you know, between Elijah and Moses and Jesus. Maybe they spoke the names. We just don't really know. But as Moses and Elijah began to depart, they began to leave. And whether they ascended up into the air, whether they just faded out of view again, we don't know. But as they began to depart, Peter speaks out. Our boy Peter, I love the guy. Verse 33, Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love the footnote that Luke has, not knowing what he said. Not knowing what he said. That's an understatement. Mark tells it a little bit different. He says he didn't know what to say because he was greatly afraid. Well, whatever the case, whatever the reason for his statement, the only answer to his great idea was this all-encompassing cloud that the Father sent. Verse 34 says, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and they told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Peter, James, and John had had, in essence, just a, a religious experience. They, they had just a small partial taste of a spiritual high, but they missed the main point. They missed the main point because they were asleep both physically and spiritually because the main point is, was, and always will be Jesus. And they were missing that. There's so many distractions in our world today. Can you imagine if, if Peter and the disciples had been allowed to build these three tabernacles or these three tents? Well, first of all, Peter, who had earlier confessed, thou art the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And that's an awesome declaration. But the problem is, is now he equates Moses and Elijah right up there with Jesus. 
This is a great place for worship. Let's build these three little tabernacles, these three little tents, these places of worship for all three of you. As great as these two men were, they were ones who were pointing to the coming Messiah. Jesus is the coming Messiah. All three of the gospel records declare the same kind of a thought, the same kind of action. Oh, Lord, this is a great place for us to be here on this mountaintop. Man, let's, let's make these three places, these three places to honor or to venerate or to worship or worse yet, to, to idolize all three of you. And Peter was ready to move in some kind of a religious matter. God interrupted him, though, and he called for him to move in a relationship manner instead of a religious manner. A relationship with the Son. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Can you see how many of our churches today, we, we can get caught up in religious things? Because it looks so good, it sounds so good, and in our human logic, oh, this, this is the thing we ought to do. Because it sounds religious. It sounds real spiritual. But the problem is, we miss the main thing. The main thing in every one of our lives, the main thing in everything that we do as a church, whether it be in the children's ministry, the youth ministry, Sunday mornings as we gather together, the women's ministry, the men's ministry, the fellowships that we have, the main issue needs to be Jesus. That's why we're here. That's just like what I said last week. If we just become a social club, what use is this? Let's just go join the Elks. Let's just go join something else. And secondly, if they had constructed those tents or those tabernacles at that time, can you imagine what it'd be like today? I mean, multitudes of people lining up, coming in and focusing on a building, focusing on a place, rather than on the very presence of Jesus in their own lives. Worship would have been a destination rather than a journey. Years ago, they came through and said, well, I believe this is the rock that Jesus did this on, and, and this is the very spot that Jesus... And they built these huge structures and these huge monuments. We don't know that that's where it is. We know Jesus was in the area. We know the Sea of Galilee was there. We, but we don't know about that particular rock. We don't know about that particular hillside. And I praise God that we don't, because we worship those things, and we miss the real thing, the reality of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It would have been so much better for Peter to have remained speechless, to just hush up. Brothers and sisters, being speechless in the presence of majesty is probably the best way any of us can be. I kind of like what Isaiah declared. When Isaiah got in that same situation, what were his words? Woe is me, I am undone. I am toast. Isaiah understood the, the majesty, the significance of what was taking place in his life. When you come to church, let me ask you this. When you come to church, are you seeking a, a religious or a spiritual experience? Be careful on how you answer that. Because I believe that some people actually worship worship. They worship the emotional high. They, they, they worship the, the spiritual experience. And unless I'm drawn into some kind of euphoria, some kind of, you know, I'm, I'm totally beside myself, that I haven't really been at church. I haven't really experienced worship. 
And rather than seeking to be drawn into the very presence of Jesus, they look for, they strive for this emotional high. And it's amazing to look at the times throughout both Old and New Testament as people were drawn into the presence of God or God appeared to them, rather it be an angelic messenger. You can think of Abraham and the, the three men who came and met him at the terebinth trees by Mamre. Or you can think of Gideon as he was hiding behind the wine press, you know, uh, sifting wheat. Or perhaps even the burning bush and, and, and Moses on the backside of the desert. You might even think about John there in the, in the presence of Christ on the island of Patmos. Every one of these things have this one thing in common. When the presence of God was there, whether it be a, a pre-incarnate vision of Christ or whatever it might be, when the presence of Christ was there, they fell on their faces. The very presence, of, not built a monument. They, they understood, man, this is a holy, holy place. That's why the Lord told Moses, take your shoes off, son. You're on holy ground. Worship because of the presence and the power of Almighty God in the place. It was worship because the Spirit of God filled their hearts and their lives. They didn't settle for an emotional high. They knew that they needed to be, and they were willing to be, broken, remade, filled. And that's the way that you and I need to be. Understand, again, thinking of Isaiah and all of this, there in chapter 6 of Isaiah, when Isaiah stood before the Lord, his first words was, Woe is me, for I am toast. That's what my version says. Woe is me, for I am undone. I mean, it's the end of me. But it was only when he said those words that he could say the words that he said later. Here am I, send me. You see, you have to be at that first place first in order to be at the second place and to be able to be used in that place. Peter, James, and John, they, they saw a religious experience. And they were going to be satisfied with that. This was great, man. This is awesome. Too many times in our lives, we settle for so much less. We come and we have a great uh, time together. We, we, we might sit under a teaching of the Word that just really speaks to us. And we go out the doors, and it makes no impact on our lives because really we haven't connected all of the dots together. The dots of fellowship together with brothers and sisters in Christ. The dots of worshiping and lifting up our voices and our hands before the Lord. The dots of the prayer time. The dots of the teaching and the preaching of his word that drive us all the way to the point of being in the presence of Jesus. And beloved, if we're not in the presence of Jesus, then we're missing out. We're missing out. And church isn't what it ought to be, no matter how uh, exciting a service is, no matter how impactful the time is. If it doesn't drive us to Jesus, we've just had a religious experience, and it's not going to do us any good at all. Keep Jesus as the main thing. The main thing in the drive in your daily life, in every aspect of your life, your family life, your personal life, your work life, your free time life, that Jesus would be the main thing. And when you come to church, that we are, again, entering into the very presence of Christ because he says, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. And so we come on the promise of Jesus himself that he is in our midst. Don't get caught up with anything less than that.
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.